Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This year marks the 75th anniversary of the British Film Designers Guild. And last weekend, I was proud to present the Production Design Awards for 2021 for films released last year. While I was there, I spoke to four creatives working in art departments in the UK about their work. You're about to hear from Blair Barnett, the incoming BFDG chairperson, production designer and set decorator Lily Lear Abraham, production designer Peter Francis, and supervising art director Peter Russell, who this year won the Lifetime Achievement Award. My name is Blair Barnett. Uh, I'm a production designer and art director. I work in the, I've been working in the film business for nigh on 35 years in almost every single capacity, but now it's chiefly square in design. Well, my favorite thing that I've done is a very little known um, dark comedy called uh, Sightseers, which is one of my favorite cult films, if I might say so myself, even though I worked on it. Um, that, uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've worked on Heroes, I did a lot of Nickelodeon projects, Sesame Street, so I go from kids TV to horror and everything in between. Uh, it's just what I like. Let's talk a bit about Sightseers because um, I'm a huge fan of Ben Wheatley's. I did a piece uh, with Ben for the culture show when Sightseers came out and we, we shot it out in a caravan in a field because it was like, that was, that was our idea of production design. What does production designing a film like Sightseers involve? Oh gosh, it was also twee. Uh, and I was the art director on that. Janie Levick was the production designer who's fantastic. Um, and we, it was all kind of lo-fi and handmade and quintessentially English. Okay. So we wanted to bring that element to it, not make it slick and glossy and Americanized and Hollywood like a lot of films do. They, they want this hyper-reality brought into films, and that's not how things are. We didn't want kitchen sink in the Mike Lee realm, mm. but we wanted... We wanted it to definitely be very English, so we put, I mean, even the locations like the Pencil Museum and the Kreitz Tramway Museum, I mean, these are all things, uh, tourist destinations that aren't like Universal's Islands of Adventure. It was just like cute little things. So we wanted all of the production design to be on that level. Uh, lots of storytelling, lots of allegory, lots of... Um, of uh, you know, bringing in things like little Easter eggs for us to discover later on in the show. But it all was multi-layered and just very English. Chris, puppy's stopping. 
Stop it, stop it, Chris. Yeah, good girl. Oh, you have a little fool. Excuse me. You are going to pick that up. Well, I have a Chris. This is a site of natural beauty and geographical interest. I think you need to sort that out. I didn't do that. Uh, you need to pick it up. I, I, can't, well, I can't. Why? Why can't you? Well, I haven't got the proper things to do. Why didn't you bring the proper things with you if you're out with your dog? Well, I did bring the proper things, but I'm not having a very good day. Chris. <laughs> good morning. Please tell me I'm going to pick that up with my fingers. Well, the dog does a shit. The designer is the one who just walks into a room and knows exactly how to take the pages from words on a, the script from words on a page to a, a fully functioning set that everybody can use, cameras can fit into, people can go in and out. They're brilliant. Um, the art director is kind of the, uh, the muscle behind it. We look at this crazy vision that we've been given. Okay, okay, right, you want the moon on the stick. Well, the moon is going to require a huge <laughs> crane, and the stick needs to be made out of titanium. We need 15 guys for that. It's going to take three and a half weeks, and we needed to start yesterday. So that's what our direction does, is they, they'll, they'll figure out, they're the engineers of making that happen. When we're doing our job at our best, nobody notices, because what we've created is so natural, so intrinsic to the film, the storytelling that you're so absorbed in, that you don't notice somebody's put it there. It's like it's an aura of the character itself, or that house just arrived, we walked up and the house was like that. Um, we, we basically make everything look natural, or completely unnatural if you want it to be you know science fiction or something outrageous but we 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 tried to make a seamless transition between it didn't exist and now it's perfect on on the screen and you're if you're not working there with us of course you attribute that to who's pointed the camera at it or who's directed or mm -hmm. what the actor has done but sometimes it's none of those things it's the environment as a whole and it's a very intangible process but if you don't notice it that means that we've done it correctly what the hell do you think you're doing i'm telling a complete stranger intimate details about us not about us. It's about me. It's about us! The first thing that made me realize that production design was a job was uh, the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. When I saw that film come out, and I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is a great story. It's just, hang on, that room was red, and what's going on with her hat? And, Wait a minute, <laughs> I call shenanigans, what's happening? This isn't real, this isn't a real place. And it made me realize someone's done that on purpose in order to, to, uh, you know, to tell a story and in order to basically you know, make it as unusual and as eccentric as the story was itself. You took, we were taking on a visual journey um, and color was the vehicle. Mm -hmm. And that blew my mind at the time. I'm like, I want that job. I want that job. That's what I need to be doing. And that was like something like that is really recognizable. But you don't get all of those stories. A lot of times it's just, it's real life. And real life is hard to put your finger on. His mother is a Roman Catholic. He's been in prison in South Africa. And he probably drinks his own pee. I'm stepping up to be the chair of the British Film Designers Guild, um, which 
uh, it's kind of hard. Once again, it's kind of hard to say what that role is, but uh, it's a group of people um, that we we consider ourselves to be some of the best in the industry. Um, people who are coming up into the industry. It's we represent some of the best filmmaking that's made. I mean, some of the best filmmaking that's ever been made happens here in Britain, which is why I moved here from Hollywood to be part of that class. And uh, I'm I'm stepping up to basically help some underrepresented people come uh, other voices come i really it's a big broad world and there's so much divisiveness that's happening right now um that and we we need to hear other voices and we need to hear different things i mean the world needs more storytelling i mean we are the ones who make the films that we watched during a pandemic when we watched literally everything there was to be made that's what kept people from going crazy um that and I and I really want to be able to contribute what I've learned in my life and as a traveler I've traveled around the world and I've just seen so many different things and I want to bring that kind of flavor to the guild and to help other people who might not have had a voice before get into it and uh, get into the industry in general because it's hard unless you know you can afford to take a month and a half or two years and a half off and not get paid and work as a runner it's really hard to get into the industry and there's there's uh there's something that needs to to happen to be able to help other people come in and i really want to be able to help make that process there's a move in the awards this year to to be more uh diverse to include uh, more categories and also uh, to deal with the fact that there is a skill set shortage, that you know, the, there are not as many practitioners as, as we need. How does the industry need to develop in order to address the challenges of the immediate future? Well, there's a pedanticness that happens, and, and we all strive for the best, right? That's just human nature. We all want the perfect person. And this industry makes it very hard for anybody to make a mistake. It's very unforgiving for anybody to make any kind of flub up. Um, you mean because if you do, you're out? Yeah, if you do, you're out. Also, if you do, you just cost a lot of money. Right. Or you do and, you know, someone yells at you. It could be as simple as that. But for all of those reasons, we're all under these great amount of pressures to be able to make everything perfect. And in order to do that, it's hard to have faith and it's hard to take risks. So you hire the same people over and over and over again because they've done you well in the past and you know they're gonna do you well again. And this other person you've not met, maybe the best person in the world, but you're not gonna hire them because it's on you if they fail. And I mean, that's basically uh, in a nutshell what I see happening. Um, so it's just having those opportunities and make, and it's not telling people, oh, take a chance on this person, but finding a way to merge that person into an already thriving industry by having more uh, trainee roles, mm -hmm. having more support roles, more shadowing, to having productions be able to make room for other people who aren't churning out 250%, which is what they expect from all of us. They've even joined up roles with things that you used to be able to spread out and like have mindfulness and take considered actions. You can't do that anymore now. You have to make a decision, run with it, and you, it, you better hope it works. Um, so there's, there's, no, there's not as much space for apprenticeship and trainee and mentoring anymore. So you talk about uh, apprenticeship roles being hard to come by. Did it used to be the case that the industry was more welcoming or is it that it has 
always been quite hard and that you're looking towards a new future that we haven't had yet? Um, I think it's a little from column A and a little from column B, but more so the latter. Uh, when I was starting in the industry, I found that nobody really wanted to give you a hand. They, like, they, everybody was so scared about their job that, I, I mean, I got to where I am through a series of fantastic mishaps. Uh, if there was a mistake to be made, I made it. And I, owned, <laughs> and, and I owned it and, you know, I just moved on from it. But, and I didn't have really much mentorship, but my first foray into it was as a scenic artist. Uh, a, a painter mm -hmm. and in that capacity there really was in order for me to get into the union and become where I was and be able to even be allowed to hold a paintbrush which is very much a thing you can't touch the brushes until you get to a certain age or certain level in your career I'm not joking <laughs> um, but there were you, you would sit with people and you would work with people and like for a whole year all I did was pick up the brushes of other artists and wash them out properly and take care of them and learn how to do that a whole year of that and nowadays people don't have the time for that or the patience for that like they get their first job in the industry and then they want to be the boss um, but, but I think that is a lot to do with the fact of how the industry is. They expect everybody to just snap to it and be instantly a professional. And that's just not how things are. You know, we, it's a craft and we need, we, need, we need time to become craftsmen. And there needs to be that opportunity again, uh, at least from where I was as a scenic across all the other boards. I can't speak from experience how it worked in production or cinematography or in design. Uh, but the only way to make professionals is to nurture and grow them. You can't expect somebody to just jump up and mm. become a professional. Is there a lot of talent available? God, yes. I mean, the skill sets are... I mean, even like you, you look at like a waiter... You know, and what they have to do to have to balance things, they have to know their customers, they have to, to memorize things, they have to work under pressure, they have to get up really early and stay really late and keep everything happening, a lot of plates in the air, no pun intended. Those sort of skill sets really will do you great on set um, because it's, it's not even so much the skills, the technical skills of operating what you're doing, that's part of it, but it's having that dance and having that wherewithal to be able to deal with the high pressure post deadline situation that yeah. is filmmaking. And not everybody has the graft. And it's not even saying that you have graft like there's something wrong with you. There has to be something kind of wrong with you to be able to deal with it, <laughs> do you know? Uh, it's not natural and it's, it's you know, you, you have to be tough as nails to be able to do it. And a lot of jobs that aren't filmmaking develop those skills. So you can take just that personality and learn to do something in the industry if you have that personality. But it's being able to find that talent, see that talent and pluck it out and give those people opportunities and grow them to be able to work in the industry. That's where we need to do it. And if people hearing this thought, well, look, this sounds like something I'm interested in, what are the roots into the industry? Well, there's, um, we're, we're, there's, it's becoming more and more now. There are organizations like Talking Point and Skill Sets that will take you and mentor and help you. Um, you can join clubs, like, or you can join the guild, you can start something as a newcomer and join and somebody will help you personally on a personal level. Um, there's Facebook groups out there where you can just join the Facebook group and watch the things that are being said. 
Um, there's Mandy.com and other organizations where you can work for free on someone's student film or just a passion project. I mean, that's the best. If you could afford to take a couple of weeks off and put yourself into that situation, that's like boot camp. That's like a whole year of university working on one short film. Um, so it's those opportunities. You kind of have to, there's, there's not like a, a clinical way in you know, it's not so formulated. It's, there's no like syllabus for learning to be it, which is part of the problem. I feel there, there, there should be there. There are training courses and and degrees in filmmaking. Not everybody can afford that, yeah. and it also doesn't really show you what happens on set. And they're also very hard to get into with very Absolutely. very limited places. For sure. Um, two last things. What's the greatest achievement of the last year? in terms of production and what's the greatest challenge of the next year oh my goodness um, the greatest achievement of the last year was how all of a sudden everyone and their grandmother is a master filmmaker like i said we devoured and consumed everything that could possibly be watched during the first year of the pandemic and we ran out of stuff to watch and then all of a sudden, everybody needs box sets. Everybody needs to bitch watch. Everybody needs everything to take their mind off of this crazy planet implosion that we're having right now. Um, and somehow or another, we quadrupled output worldwide. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, it started off with like a certain amount of studios and then you had streaming television, but now, there's just it's coming out of the woodwork if you want to make a film if you're, you're hard pressed to not be able to make a film these days and somehow or another it's all i mean it's all good it's like it's it's not all of it i'm telling a movie critic yeah, yeah. here he's gonna say it's not all good but it's all accomplished filmmaking in some yeah. capacity and we haven't built new cameras or made new Luton trucks or grown new people somehow or another we've taken what we have we've made that work and 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 churned out an output that's mind-boggling um and moving forward what we need to do is be able to do that in a sustainable way without burning people out wasting materials ruining what we've got and lessening the quality we've got a big 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 feet big shoes to fill i should say in being able to keep up this pace or at least keep up the quality the, the production value of what we're doing because we don't want to go back to watching crappy tv do you know or three channels do you know that'll never happen it's just going to grow it's just going to go on do you know from here so we need to find a way to be able to keep that sustainable and we haven't touched on keeping things green or making things not wasteful. And the filmmaking business is one of the most wasteful industries. And that's another thing I'm trying to do is find out ways to be able to do that without being so negative to the planet and humanity. I studied film in high school and I watched Fallen Angels by Wong Kar Wai. And I was saying, what? What the hell is this? It's so incredible. And then I was to study economy and my film teacher in high school said, you, no, you can't study economy, you need to study film. And then I moved to London, I started studying film and, and now I'm here.
My name is Lilia Abraham and I won the award for Best Production Design in Short Film for Catch a Butcher. What does it mean to win that award? It means incredibly much because we all worked on this short film beside our full-time jobs in the art department and to be recognized in this format is just incredible. So many of us work on short films and many times they just miss, you know, the production designer because we don't have much budget. Um, on that level, you know, people cannot create those very amazing things mm -hmm. or very high um, quality things. But once we get recognized for when we manage to achieve it, it, it means terribly much. Whole filmmaking is about teamwork and communication and uh, have one visual concept which everybody can drive to. This is filmmaking, that's why we are doing it. Do you enjoy it? I do enjoy it very much, but you need to be a bit crazy. You In know, what way? You need to be obsessed, I think, to do filmmaking, obsessed with storytelling, with visual storytelling and just always wanting to do better and go further and work with more and more creative people. So this is, this is not for the faint-hearted. Uh. And I love that. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Peter Russell, and I'm a supervising art director. So the Lifetime Achievement Award is, you know, the sort of pinnacle of the awards. Tell me what you, when you when you look at the lifetime of work, what are you most proud of? What are the things that stand out for you in your career? Um, good, good question. I think longevity, <laughs> in a sense. <laughs> By that, I, I probably mean. Um, uh, there was a, a period of a learning curve for all of us mm -hmm. and we're very lucky that um, there is time and positions in the department where you can actually, I would say, ally experience to, um, uh, to more responsibility and then eventually you become, you know, like a hybrid creature and my particular role uh, as supervising art director is, is kind of um, halfway between the de department and then above me as the designer. Um, the reason that maybe I've been given this award is just generally uh, I got it. I understand my role uh, and try to execute it to the best I can. 
And you make it sound very uh, practical. You make it sound. Like I um, I've always yeah I've always assumed that the, the practicality starts with me, and that's you know um, there's there's a moment on uh, any design process where you can have you know sixty two thousand million brilliant ideas, of which all but three of them will eventually trip us up. <laughs> um, the, the skill is to make everyone else aware of that problem and make it their idea that they go with, you know, the ideas that can work. So is the sort of fundamental core of the trade the, the, the intersection between art and practicality? Uh, it, there's a moment, definitely. You can't differentiate the two, but yes, there is. There's sort of blue, you know, blue sky thinking and then there's 250 tradesmen waiting to start bashing bits of wood together. And that interface is a, is a moment. From a production point of view, it starts when the money starts going out the door as well. Yeah. So we try and make sure we're on the right path. I'm Peter Francis, and I'm a production designer. As a production designer, I, I rely heavily on my supervising art director because they really make it work for you. And if you've got a supervising art director who has your back, if you like, and knows what you like and knows what you want to achieve, um, they're the most important person to me, actually, um, personally, because I find that uh, reassurance that there's somebody there just just tapping on reality and making sure that what, I, what we want to achieve is doable, because at the end of the day, time and money is the, is, is what, what, what oh, it comes to. So as a supervising art director, you know, you have to be really on the money on the, and on the time and on the practicalities and realise what is achievable in the time you have for the money you have. So it does come down to nuts and bolts like that, actually. You know, there's the, there's, a, there's the wonderful creative bit where we all think up amazing ideas, and then those ideas have to be put into practice. They have to fit in a box, boxes. What I, yeah. But what I, one of the reasons I came into the, to the art department was because out in the real world, as I call it, you know, you have to, it's, it's so complicated, you can't build, build stuff like we build stuff. You know, we build things very quickly, and, and you can, and, you can build pretty well whatever you like because it doesn't have to stand up and be and, and have building regulations. I mean, that, well, the rules are a lot stricter now. But, you know, it's a fantasy world and we're creating an illusion. Um, so we're, you know, as a supervising art director, uh, you're there, to, Peter's there to, to make sure that whatever the production designer wants to do and the director wants to do, of course, as well, um, happens. And, and, every, and gets everyone on the same page. That's really important as Absolutely. well, actually. And one of the things I think the most important aspect of any film that you make is teamwork. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, we're all there. Well, I always find it amazing that you get people from all different walks of life, every different trade. We're all there to produce the same product at the end of the day, the film and the vision. Um, and it's always fascinates me how, you know, from an electrician on the stage to a rigger, to a director, to a first assistant director, to a costume designer, everybody's there. We've all got our own sort of, um, our own sort of um, aim that we want to, that we're heading for, don't we? But yeah. as a team, we all come together and especially in the art department, you know, you've got to have a strong team and, um, and then it works. I remember the first time I ever went on a movie set, the thing that surprised me most, and this is just, you know, it was ignorance on my part, because I'd been writing about films, because I'd been watching films, but I'd never been on the set. And I went on the set and I thought, this is a building site. This literally looks like a construction site, because of course that is what most of it is. For anyone who isn't familiar with this, it's 
correct to say that essentially the production designer would, would imagine the world and the art director would go, okay, I will actually physically make that possible. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> yes, to, to a degree. I mean, I, I, think, I don't think you can actually, um, because, you know, production designers are quite often, you know, incredibly experienced technicians in their own right. Right. So unless you're playing some hideous game, you know, when a, a designer suggests something, it's pretty sensible. There are other um, aspects that can, you know, we need to fine tune it. But in essence, it's seldom that someone comes in and goes, we're going to make this that pink blancmange, what does anyone think? <laughs> so, you know, but, but, you know, going back to what we said, usually um, uh, a designer's early design time turns, the, the heat on that turns up slightly when someone like me arrives, followed by the start of 18, 20, 24 people all clamouring after their time to, you know, to try and, and take that, that essence and convert it originally into a model, into drawings, documentation, however it is that we can transpose those thoughts down to a workshop and start actually you know, giving it, giving it substance. Yeah. But, but the pink blancmange is the exciting bit. I mean, that's where we all go, oh, Oh, and then the thought process comes in. You know, you, you know, you've come up with some. You've discussed something with the idea. He, the director suggest, just said something, and you picked up on it, and you sort of, you know, think, oh, that's interesting. And then you start thinking about it, and you start trying to figure out how you can do it. Stuart Craig was brilliant at this. He would always find something uh, that's not in the script or that's not quite there, and he'd pick it out, and everyone would go, whoa, okay, all right. And then the thought starts, and then we start talking about how to do it how can we possibly do this? How can we make this idea work? And then, you know, that then comes down to models, sketches, you know, trying to figure it out. Lots of talking, lots of people figuring it out. And, you know, everybody, I was, I listen to everybody because you never know who's got a better idea. Do you know what I mean? And you just, and, and you work it out amongst yourselves. And then, yes, and then it's like, gets down to the practical point of view and you're like, okay, right, well, we think we can do it. And then, you know, we look at it again and, 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 and then, the art of the art department, which is so amazing, is that we do make it work. We do create that blancmange out of nothing, you know, sometimes, which is, which is an incredible, incredible thing, you know. And, you know, you walk onto a set and it's still, the hairs on the back of my neck still go up when I walk on and the set's there and you just think, wow, this is fantastic. We built this in three weeks or whatever it is, you know. And, um, but I think you always have to have the blancmange because you have to, we always aim higher than we can possibly go and then reality and then you know it, it sort of works its way through and um and yeah okay because i love this analogy because it's something that i can understand what's the most pink blancmange moment you've ever had when somebody has said to you i want this uh no i've still got years in the industry left i'm not saying <laughs> <laughs> you, usually um you can come to the director first, though, the pink blancmange. Yeah, no, I, it, that's, no, yeah, exactly but, that. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a, no, it's not a win. No. It's actually a, um, I would think probably, uh, it's something we haven't touched on, it's probably another aspect, but not enough time. Hmm. You know, we would have these heartfelt, meaningful discussions, designs would be made, and we look at the calendar and go, well, in three weeks. To me, that's the, you know, that's the difficult part, I think. It's the difficult part, yeah. but amazingly... 
quite often because we have such amazing crews and technicians quite often we do it that's oh, always that amazes me even more yeah. when we actually do we think is it possible and everyone goes god it's tight but it always happens it, it always it somehow it always works and even if it's not exactly the yeah. biggest pink, pink romantic it's the smaller one it happens it's incredible Blair was just saying that uh, looking forward in the industry that thing about time and money being able to be available because obviously those are the two rarest commodities and specifically time and she was saying that you know we've there's been so much content produced during lockdown we've all consumed absolutely avidly are we going to be in a position in which there is the time to do things properly or has the industry got tighter um i think we've lost quite a lot in the last couple of years. Okay. I think we've, uh, and, and levels of expectation, sadly, have, um, uh, not, not levels of expectation, that's not the right phrase. Um, the quality doesn't, because it's all such a rush and it's too quick, it's too, there's too much being, not, there's not too much being made, but I just feel the quality has suffered okay. a lot because they're churning, churning stuff out so rapidly to fill all the streaming channels that the quality and the, just isn't there. There isn't the thought process gone into initially to write the scripts that are good enough. Personally, I think. Um, I've read a lot of scripts recently and some of... There's been one or two good ones, but there's been a lot that really... I don't think are good enough to warrant spending $100 million on or whatever the budget is. So I think... I'm I'm concerned because I think we are... I think it's... I think everything's... I think it's cheapening it all somehow, don't you? Please Definitely. When, you know, during my formative time, um, it was an average time in the industry and people would, in that time, expect to be out of work for, you know, as much as, you know, six months in a year. Right. This is no reflection on their talent. It was just to do with timing and the availability of jobs. Um, as a result, I think, I wouldn't say we tried hard, I don't mean that at all, but I think you were given time to actually learn your trade. Mm. And not sadly, but the situation we find ourselves in now is that the, um, the manpower that's required to service all these projects is just crying out for people, not, not off the street, but you know, with very little experience, they, they find themselves in, in you know, positions of responsibility. And that's not fair on them. And I think that's well, one of the, the slightly difficult situations we find ourselves in. I know that as, as a person that would need to put a crew together for a production designer on a show, um, it's a bit fingers crossed and hold your breath to the, you know, the sort of people you can get to do them. And the, the reality is the camera doesn't know any of these stories. When the camera turns up, it expects to film immaculate sets. Mm. Doesn't need to know that we've been working day and night for two weeks. Um, without you know, a wink of sleep to get it done and the paint's only just dry. The fact is the camera goes, oh, this is a bit average. And that's yeah. the thing we must always mm. not let happen. That's mm. a beautiful phrase though, the camera doesn't know these sort of sets. Mm. You know, um, literally go outside and their chip is hanging in rags. You know, the production designer's literally, you know, going into going in a coma because <laughs> it, we've just got it there and the camera goes, yeah, good. Uh, we'll be out here by lunchtime. Mm. And that's an interesting... Yeah, it's a thing we always must remember. You, you, you do. You're exactly right, Peter. Because you, you know, you. Um, everyone works so hard to produce that. What you see on the camera, and if that isn't good enough, then that's a reflection on the whole film as well. It's not just a reflection on uh, on the 
the yeah. artwork or the design or the director, whatever, it reflects the whole film because the quality has to be there on the screen. Because once it's on that, once it's once it's on the celluloid or the digital now, that's on there forever. So you've got to get it right. So what's the solution or what's the, you know, what's the model for going forward in a healthier way? Uh, I, I think the genie's out of the bottle to a degree. Yeah, um, no, no one, no freelance filmmaker is going to go, cool, there shouldn't be so many films being made. Of course not. Or we shouldn't be building all these new studios. Of course we must. We, we need to expand to keep our position in that wave of new productions. I just think that it probably falls on, to a degree, people like our art directors and me to actually do a, a, a sort of a, a lot more quality control about how the documentation and how that sort of stuff is produced. Do we need more apprenticeships? Do we need more training? It's such a, a, I mean, that, that's been something that's been mooted on and off for a long time. Certainly in my, you know, in my lifetime, we've gone from absolutely no form of education to service the art department um, to some quite, um, not second rate, but some very basic courses. Now we have several uh, colleges that, that do provide excellent, excellent courses. But it always used to be that you would learn on the job. Yeah, you know, that's you, basically. You, you come in with a, so, with a certain... Yeah. A certain skills level, whether you've either either you have done a course in architecture or design, or you've worked your way up from from school, and that was great because you really do. I still say one of the best, the two the be, two best jobs in the art department, art department assistant and production designer. They're the two, the two extremes. The, the two extremes. Yeah. An art department assistant. I did several years as an art department assistant, and I loved every minute. Yeah, what does that involve? It's basically you're the tea boy. You start making the tea, and you end up you you you're printing drawings. You're going around. You're delivering drawings to every department on the film. Um, you get to see every aspect of filmmaking. You get to every office. Mm. You get to know all the production people. You get to know all the construction special effects. Everybody. And you, you just see it all going on, and you're in it all day long. You go on set, and they're filming, and you go, wow, I remember being on uh, Alien 3 and walking in, and there was just this, on 007 stage, this huge, the furnace at the end, and just, I would stay behind it. You know, they, they were shooting 24 hours a day, more or less. But I would walk in, and I would just hang around on the back of the set, just watching it all, being in absolute total awe of this, you know. And I saw that going on, and, you know, the bits in between, you, you're more office-bound quite often, unless you're an art director and out and about, but, you know, you learn your craft, you learn, and then you learn your technical drawing, you learn how to draw, and, and I'm a big, I'm still very big on pencil drawing, I'm not a computer drawing person, <laughs> I'm not. Because, you know, we had these amazing technicians, didn't we, Jim Morahan and, oh, and yeah. Mike Boone and everybody who drew, you could always tell whose drawing it was because the style and the and the film drawings were a piece of art in themselves. Yeah, they were yeah. beautiful. Um, so you saw all that sort of thing, you know. And, and so I think that for me was a great training. You you can. I went to Kingston before the year before. I actually did the film and TV design course, which was great as an introduction. Um, fantastic, but it was when I finally got my first job, um, which was on a film called The Rainbow Thief, actually with Omar Sharif and Peter O'Toole, and um, just. Walking onto the stage, that smell of the, the smell of the paint—it's just oh, it's fantastic, absolutely amazing. So, does that does that still happen? The thrill of you know the smell of the paint is yeah. it means it's kind of like, it's like a theatrical thing that what you're talking about. It's like when people talk about lifetime in theatre, they yeah. will literally talk about. Yeah, yeah, it is. I still get a buzz walking onto the stage. It, it, you're completely addicted. Yeah. You have to be anything. Well, of course you're you oh, not dead. I mean, for goodness <laughs> sake. You know, we are paid money to create magic. 
you know, I mean, at the moment, you know, you, someone's going into work to create a bond lair on a Monday or a pirate ship, spaceship, or an old little bedroom somewhere. I mean, where are you going to get that sort of yeah. mess? And every job, every day's different, every job's different, yeah. Every, yeah. every script's different, and, and that's what's so exciting about it. But I, what I found recently, which is very strange, is, is people say, oh, it was always be that you'd try and do as a diverser range of films as you could, mm-hmm. because it was always good to do something different. Now they're saying, oh, oh, you haven't done a, a, there was something else before, and oh, well, he hasn't got the credits in, hasn't got credit for that kind of film, and I'm like, well, we can do anything. That's the whole point, you know. We want to do everything, and you do sometimes get a name for doing a certain type of thing, yeah, don't you? But um, you know, um, but you still get the buzz. Okay. Do you have to have that? Because you said, like, if, you know, if we didn't have, what would we be doing? Do you have to have that kind of addiction to it to do it well? I don't know. I'm just very enthusiastic about it. Maybe uh, I don't. Sometimes I think you, what you sorry, what you get is you get a whole range of personalities in the art department. And you need different people with different skills and different approaches to it, mm. don't you? That's what's one of the other things that's so great about it. You get a, such a broad skill base. Yeah. People coming in. I, somebody asked me this question last year. What? What? I'm not. Somebody said I'm not great at technical drawing. What do you think? I said, Well, um, what? Are, you have a, another skill that you can bring. You might be great at graphics. You might be great at model making. You might be great at dressing a set. Everyone has a different skill, and that's what's so. That's the other great thing is that you have all these people with these different skills that come together and 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 produce something. Um, you know, you do a film called Mindhorn. You know, we're doing. We spent a week just well, making. Hmm? It was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and we, we had we had a couple of art department assistants in there for a, a week just painting silly masks. You know, because we had this this parade where everyone has to wear these silly masks. So you know, it's uh, every job's different. Did yeah. you know that Mindhorn is the the, uh, the first film shot and set in the Isle of Man since George Formby's No Limits. I say this because my family's mates, they're from the Isle of Man. <laughs> loads and loads of films are shot in the Isle of Man, yeah. but none of them are set in the Isle of no. Man. And Mindhorn is the first one that's actually set yeah, yeah. there. We were quite the, proud of it. We quite George, proud. Yeah, it's really funny. <laughs> and it's got everything's got laxy wheel, it's yeah. got all the stuff that you want. Yeah, yeah. So from both of you, when you look at your careers, what are the things that stand out? What are you most proud of? What are the films that you're most proud of having worked on? Oh, that's... That's a hard one, um, and it sounds like, you know, it's like, oh, but it, it really is hard. Um, for me, personally, I think um, you, you, the, the background to the set is almost as important as the, the end set, you know. There, there would be physical challenges, time challenges, conceptual challenges that, that made, you know, that, that made it a special moment. And uh, you, you can never make a set that you don't love. You know, you just, mm. you always make it your own. If you really, really needed, you know, a one sentence answer, and it's, um, I, I'd probably say the one that was most challenging, but most enjoyable, that I had the most fun on, and the product was okay, was a Ridley Scott film called White Squall. Mm. And I was, the department, part of the department I was working in, we, we built the boat in Malta that did all of yeah, that. Yeah. Um, brilliantly helped by the special effects, but we worked very closely together, almost in isolation, because the main unit were out on location and doing all sorts of other things, and quietly there we were in Malta, sort of making this thing. And it was just, um, it was, it was, it started out well, it was well executed, and it filmed well. Yeah. And 
Um, there were no hiccups, no problems, no typhoons, nothing. And for me, that was that was one of the highlights. I think. Yeah. And I, I think that scene, the capsizing scene in White Squall, is one of the most remarkable pieces of Ridley yeah. cinema. And I interviewed him about that film shortly afterwards because it found it quite hard to get an audience. And he said it was one of the films he felt most personal about because he felt it was about that kind of boys to men transition, yeah. that, which was which meant such a lot. To Absolutely. Him. But that is that is that sequence is. But you know, in its time already, technology has moved on, so we would definitely not be doing it exactly the way we did it there. Yeah. You know, and it, so it was. I it bet was, you it still holds up, though. I uh, bet you it still holds yeah. up now. But I mean, you know, anything in front of Ridley will make it. Okay, that's a great answer. What about you? What are you most proud of? Uh, well, I, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm proud of the father because that was um, a real challenge because it was one of those jobs where you know we get you get the script and you have to read the script four times before you really understand what's going yeah. on, um, and the, the physical challenges of that job were immense, and the, the money and time scale we had seven I started when we stopped like the day from, from the day I started to the day we started shooting was seven weeks so I not only had to design it we had to get the thing built and, and, and get it all dressed so that was um I'm very proud of that I am obviously proud of that film um but then again you know when I look back and I think about some of the amazing experiences I've had um I think standing on the burn in Mexico uh, on Titanic watching the set go down and listening to the first AD say set going down and literally watching the two-thirds section of the ship descend into a into a tank of water was incredible I mean it was just <laughs> Peter Lamont was the production designer amazing amazingly ridiculous scale um, and, and just every set you went onto was just like wow this is absolutely another another hairs on the back of your neck standing up it was incredible um, and you know some of those Bond films were great, mm. aren't they? The, some of the we did the Casino, uh, Casino Royale. We did all the bit in the Bahamas and the it was Madagascar Bahamas, yeah. and also the Bahamas for real. I mean that was great. And then we went to Lake Como for the Italian bits at the end, which was fantastic. Venice was fantastic. Um, and so yeah, you know, travelling around the world was amazing and seeing all these fantastic places. But yeah, proud, uh, proud. Also, too, what else I'm really proud of? Um, two little short films I did. One called The Phone Call. Uh, with Sally Hawkins, we did that for no money at all. Um, that was a to see that come to fruition from you know two day shoots in a warehouse, an old factory, a factory up in um, in um, Tottenham, um, and then another tiny one which was called Roommate, which was a really small little film um, which won the BAFTA, um, which was a, which was really clever script again. And I think that's the thing for me as well though is the script has to have some has to offer something really exciting and challenging to start with that's that's the that's the hard part finding the script that really makes you go wow this could be really interesting that's where the father stood up um that's where the short films are stood up as well last question to both of you do you think the future of the industry is positive or do you think we are in a particularly challenging time because we've just come through two very difficult years is the future uh, without a doubt yeah absolutely yeah i think so uh, I can see um, the, uh, the growth of the younger members of the art department helped to a degree by having some older heads around. I can see them carrying us forward. Yeah. Now, the industry will change. I won't, you know, in, in eight, nine, ten years, I won't recognise where we are. But I know that I think we're very, very well equipped to actually move forward with a certain amount of style. Yeah. 
I think it's moved so quickly in the last five years. Technology's moved on at record-breaking speeds, and visual effects has, has become such a huge aspect of every film, even the small ones now, you know, yeah, they, yeah. all the cleanup stuff they do. But I think, um, yes, I think as long as we can, as long as we can nurture the talent we've got coming up through and just, just, I think you bide your, the, it's about biding your time and learning your craft. That's what we've got to instill in people because I just worry that if there's, um, because there's such a lot of work around and as you were mm. saying, Peter, there's a, there's a huge influx of, of t- new talent. Um, being escalated quite quickly. And there's nothing wrong with taking your time and understanding how a film works. And because, and learning and loving the craft, because it's still a craft. It's, it used to be a cottage industry. It's now a multi-million pound industry. And even the, even, even Boris Johnson talks about it. I mean, it's like, you know, suddenly it's become such a huge economic uh, factor in the country. So it's, um, but yeah, it's always positive. And um, I think it's, uh, I think we've got to keep positive, but I think we've just got to remind people, just just learn your craft, because there's so much to learn. Mm-hmm. And don't let visual effects take over and just do it all completely, because so much in camera. You know, we've done films where you've done foreground miniatures and cut half, half full-size cutouts. Fantastic, you know, and they work, and they don't need to then spend and they don't trillions age, on them. And they don't and age. And they don't age. And they look, Physical doesn't age. No. It's definitely, so yeah, positive, but we've all just got to enjoy it and just, just learn, learn the craft, that's the thing. You've been listening to a Kermit on Film special about the BFDG, the British Film Designers Guild, and their annual Production Design Awards. Our guests were Blair Barnett, currently Vice Chair and soon-to-be Chair of the British Film Designers Guild and nominated for Best Production Design Short Film for her work as Production Designer and Set Decorator on the short films All These Men That I've Done and Scrappy Cats. Lily Lee Abraham, who won the award for Best Production Design Short Film for her work as Production Designer and Set Decorator on Catch a Butcher. Peter Francis won the award for Best Production Design in Independent Feature Film Contemporary for his work on The Father. Peter Russell was given the Lifetime Achievement Award this year and also won the award for Best Production Design International TV Drama, including miniseries, TV movie or limited series as Supervising Art Director on The Nevers. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. To find out more about the BFDG, visit britishfilmdesigners.com slash awards. Stay safe. Keep watching the skies. 